Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, with Eric Fawcett, uh, GatorCountry.com. Gators win a, uh, a physical, foul-heavy, fun college basketball game today in Morgantown, Eric. Yeah, I actually thought it was a really good game, even even from the jump. I, I know a bunch of people were, were tweeting about uh, the fact that it was a little bit of a rock fight, that it was maybe a little bit ugly, but I actually didn't really think that was the case. I, I, I thought it was a really well-played basketball game, even from the jump. I, I, I thought teams that, or I thought the team that executed offensively was was usually scoring, and uh, the team that was executing defensively usually got a stop. So uh, I probably thought it was a better played game, even on the whole, than than I feel like a lot of people did. Um, but of course, yeah, the uh, the flow of the game was definitely uh, definitely tilted because of the uh, the fouls. Uh, not even. T- sorry, I use the term tilted. Not like it was particularly tilted in any uh, discernible way. I thought the Gators got the whistle for some of it, and then of course there was some uh, some really bad ones in uh, in favor of uh, West Virginia. The, the the devastating kick out by by Tyree Appleby, of course. I, I'm glad glad he got away without a flagrant or an ejection on that uh, uh, that, that aggressive play. And um, man, it had it all. It even had the uh, you know the administrative technical foul, which you know you just don't see that every day. So so what what a game. Yeah, I thought it was a really good college basketball game. I, I thought it was over-officiated at times, uh, as college basketball games are, are sometimes prone to be. Uh, I would note that for all the complaints about the officiating, one team shot 31 free throws, the other team shot 30 free throws. Um, you know, I guess if you're going to complain about officiating, at least complain about it in a game where that's what happens. Um, and then, you know, for those wondering, the the other guys, uh, Will Ferrell, uh, Gator don't play no shit remarks at the beginning uh, are just that, like, look, man, this Florida team is so tough. Like, I think the toughness debate can be put to bed. Um, you know, they are so mentally tough. It doesn't matter. They get an administrative technical. They get a bogus call. Um, they fall behind by eight right out of the gate in the second half, and they just keep playing. Like, they just keep playing. You know, and Mike White mentioned, uh, and, and I thought it was interesting, you know, Nick De La Tour, uh, the excellent Nick De La Tour at Rivals, tweeted uh, the, the full quote from Mike, which I thought did it justice rather than trying to summarize it. And it was classic White. It was so candid. But he actually used the word that, that we had used on the podcast, both of us, uh, the word trauma. And he kind of mentioned, you know, like this team spent 15 days basically where they did nothing together. They went through this horrific trauma. Um, and so they had to mentally come together and they had to reinvent themselves offensively. And I just thought like that, that puts a little bit of humor on it, but but uh, it's like this team just doesn't mess around. Like they they might lose, but even in their law, as we've seen in many of their losses, like they compete until the last whistle. And I think they have a, a significant collective desire to win, and it served them well today, Eric. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to make this uh, 
like I, I don't feel like every game needs to be like, okay, now let's talk about the standing of Mike White and how this last game related to Mike White. That, that's not what I'm trying to do. But you know what? As much as, as I've had my criticisms of, of White this season, the last couple of seasons, uh, there is one thing that uh, that has to be said. And that's, man, this is a very talented group. And these very talented players really want to play hard for their coach. Like, And as much as, you know, there's, there's X and O's things, there's uh, some structural things that that you know we're going to have some problems with uh, as, as much as I do think those criticisms are fair there's there's something to be said about like he's got talented dudes that that love him and and want to play hard and uh, it, just to see a game like this, like you said, Neil, like there was some definite chances for them to fold. There was the, uh, there was the time where West Virginia stretched their second half lead to, um, to, to seven right at the beginning. And it was kind of yes, like, okay, seven. well, you know, Florida, Florida hung with them for a half, but, oh, it looks like West Virginia might pull away. And, uh, yeah, the Gators, the Gators came back. And then, uh, the fact that, you know, Florida's biggest lead of the game was, uh, was, was, you know, pretty, pretty close to the end. I mean, they just kind of, uh, kept punching body blows, body blows, bloody blows, and then just right at the end, uh, they kind of withstood it. So yeah, definitely, uh, like like you said, Neil, it, it was a it was a tough, it was gritty win for the Gators, and I, I certainly hope that there's no uh, no commentator who maybe sees them get out rebounded by five in another game and then says, oh, that's the Gators la- lacking toughness because that's just <laughs> simply not the case. Whether it's whether it's physical toughness, whether it's whether it's mental toughness, however you want to define toughness, uh, I think this is a very tough basketball team yeah and that that's what i you know i think you said the the point i wanted to make better than me um that you know they might get out rebounded in a game they were tied at 37 in rebounds today with an excellent rebounding team um but you know and mike white was as hopping mad as i've ever seen him after the miss state game a couple weeks ago but but uh, they they are they're just they're mentally tough they're physically tough. There were 19 lead changes in this college basketball game, 16 ties. I thought it was a fantastic game, uh, and and it really you said from the jump, you know I agree. Florida's defense did not uh, show up for the first segment of the game, the first four minutes, but Florida did tighten up defensively and it allowed their offense to get in the flow of the game in the first half. I thought. Yeah, there's definitely some moments where, of course, Derek Culver, who is just fantastic. I know we said on the show that he was that he was a great player. Uh, he was even better than you know than I thought. I've caught a couple of games. I thought I saw maybe the best of Derek Culver when they had that really good game against Texas Tech, but he took it to another level. Man, he's just just outstanding. And there was definitely some times where where I thought Florida played him really well, and he still scored. And then there was a couple of times where I didn't think Florida played him particularly well, and he scored then too, and and got fouled. And hit a ridiculous amount of free throws for a player that I suggested that they should go hack a shack. Uh, though I guess when uh, when you hit a few in a row at the beginning and then you just keep regularly going to the line, that's a, it's a good way to get in rhythm. But uh, you know what, too? Like Florida's defense is is uh, not going to look great because of the efficiency West Virginia had. But there was also some just incredible, incredible shot making from Sean McNeil. A lot of well defended, uh, well defended possessions. I thought that that he just uh, he found a way to hit and uh, Miles McBride ride just kind of like made enough shots from uh, getting into the paint i know he kind of ended up a, a pretty inefficient game but he definitely wore the gators down a little bit and then kind of picked them apart
far with their passing. But yeah, there was definitely uh, definitely some problems with uh, with Florida's defense at times. But I, I do think it was pretty good. And I think some of the problems were that Florida came out playing pretty aggressive in the way that they wanted to double team, uh, especially in the post. So I thought that it was maybe a little bit sloppy at first, but it, it started to kind of pay dividends as, as they got comfortable. So so maybe that was a little bit of their their early defensive troubles. But um, yeah, overall, I'd say they definitely defended better than uh, than the numbers are going to say. So I want to get to Derek Culver being really good at basketball in a minute. You know, one thing I thought was interesting was even though West Virginia shot 28 threes, which again, I mean, I think on the preview, we talked about how they want to take more threes this year. It's a different type of team. Florida did a really nice job at defending the perimeter. Maybe the biggest case in point of that was the way they defended Miles McBride and really frustrated him. He was three of 15 from the field. Eric, he had, six points before the first media timeout and three uh, thereafter. You know, one note towards the end of the podcast, I asked Eric what he thought West Virginia's three-point percentage was last year, and it was 28.6. That's what they shot today from three, their percentage last year. uh, And Florida wins by five. Had West Virginia shot their 38%, we would have been looking at overtime or a one-point West Virginia win. I'm not good enough at math to quite figure it out. Uh, yeah, a one-point West Virginia win. Uh, very doesn't take much to be good at math. Figure that one out. Um, so there you go. What did you think of Florida's perimeter def- defense schematically and then effort-wise? Uh, it was a lot of Scotty Lewis on McBride in the second half. Uh, yeah, I thought Scotty Lewis played a lot better of a game defensively than than we've seen. I, I didn't think he gambled as much, and I thought that kind of made when when he did gamble more effective. He of course had a really big deflection there in the final minute that uh, uh, that kind of uh, lengthened out the possession that West Virginia had, and and therefore lessened their their total opportunities to win. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought this was a, a really good bounce back game for for Lewis after I thought he was still kind of getting his feet back under him um, in the last one after earlier in the season. I just thought he was gambling everywhere i i didn't didn't see those gambles as much maybe maybe i missed some but i think like you said i mean he's the primary guy in mcbride uh one thing too about mcbride i do think he's a little bit you know he's not super quick first step he's not super long he's more of like a tough physical guard and i kind of thought he was going to be able to take it into the body of lewis a little bit more Uh, but that wasn't really the case it was more like lewis using his length to uh, to contain the dribble uh not allowing him to cross over and go side to side he kind of made McBride a straight line driver, but then had this foot, the foot speed to get in front of him. And and where I thought maybe McBride was going to be able to push him off the spot and keep going to the rim. I thought that's when, you know, like Scotty Lewis just needed to be there for the one bump, slow him down. And that's where everyone sitting in the gaps for the Gators were able to deter any, any more dribble penetration. So uh, I kind of like what I'm seeing from, from the Gators sitting in the gaps a little bit more. Um, It's going to mean they're going to give up more three point attempts. Um, which uh, is definitely easier when the other team's only hitting, you know, 28.6 of them, like you alluded to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 again, it's interesting because that's been something so important to Florida's coaching staff at uh, Florida as they've really wanted to limit three-point attempts. It looks like they might be kind of switching to saying, uh, no, we'll give up a few more three-point attempts. We cannot live with straight-line drives. And, and that is something that I would agree with. I mean, uh, you can live with you can live with some of these three point attempts when they're contested and and honestly I mean I I thought Florida contested contested a lot of those twenty eight attempts I didn't see a lot of wide open ones um, so I I maybe on the second watch I I changed my mind but I thought Florida yeah contested a lot of shots so I mean man if you're sitting in the gaps taking away straight line drives it's uh, uh, yeah you can live with some of those contested threes and, and 
man, I think that Florida has given up a lot of straight line drives in the the last few games and um, especially a few games back when, when they were losing. Uh, yeah, definitely a lot better with these guys sitting in the gaps and uh, and helping out there to, uh, to deter some of those drives. Boy, two great points because Eric stole my thunder on one. Uh, first one is <laughs> Eric's uh, pre-West Virginia scout nailed it on Florida's guards being able to really out-athlete uh, West Virginia at a lot of times. And if you include Scotty Lewis in that combination, I thought it really helped them defensively against McBride. It helped them offensively too. I promise we're going to get to that. Point two, uh, those of you that have listened to the podcast for a couple years know, you know, Eric and I know some people in, in the industry and in coaching. And one of my connections is someone on the staff at Kentucky. And I got a text from a COVID-free Kentucky assistant coach uh, during the game, and he said, man, Mike's adjustment to get into the gaps more is so smart. I don't know why they didn't do that earlier. They're actually pretty long this year, and they can deal with the threes that come as a result of it. Huh. Yeah, good analysis. I mean, when you hear it from another uh, another assistant from a game that they're not uh, not playing in, uh, that's always great. That's a, that's a cool, cool anecdote there. And uh, I, again, I think that that's one of the adjustments as well to the, the three-point line moving back. I, I think that um, back when, uh, before the three-point line moved back and three-point percentages went down, uh, it was a lot more important, I would say, to to eliminate three-point attempts. Uh, now that the line's a little bit further back, uh, now the penalty for sitting in the gaps is, is not as great because people are shooting a lower three-point percentage. Uh, that's the case around the country. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I, I would say it's done dividends. I mean, let us remember, this is a very, very good offensive West Virginia team. And, I mean, uh, I, like I said, I thought that some of the incredible shot-making from Sean McNeil made them look a little bit better. And, of course, Derek Culver was awesome. That makes them look better. But when you look at, again, like Taz Sherman, he was uh, he was held uh, held in check. Miles McBride held in check. Uh, past that, there was mostly guys held in check. So, really, it was like, you know, Derek Culver being a monster on the inside. That's going to happen. Um, Sean McNeil having one of the best shooting games of his life. Um, <laughs> you, you, you live with that. But, you know, on, on a whole, like, again, I, I, I really do think this was a very, very well-defended game by, by the Gators. Yeah, I mean, McNeil made five threes and seven field goals overall, and I think four of those seven were with a defender, could have even been more than that, with a defender, like, right in his face. Yeah. Just very tough. It was so funny because before the the game, our preview of Sean McNeil was like, he'll either go one for ten and score two points, or he'll go off and score 20-plus. I mean, this is this was probably one of the better FBH scouts. I thought, Um, just in terms of just in terms of how things kind of proceeded. So we will pat ourselves on the back a little bit for it, uh, while not resting on our laurels, because you know you're only as good as your next scout. But um, another thing Florida did really well was take advantage of West Virginia's aggressiveness on the offensive glass when Florida won rebounds. They use numbers quite a bit to push. Uh, 28 transition points for Florida uh, in this game. Yeah, this has to be the best transition game Florida has played, in my opinion. Um, I, I think that the way that they ran their lanes, like, um, of course, Severin's going to look at the, the Noah lock threes, which were awesome. He sprinted to a spot. He got his feet set. Um, that's very important for shooting in transition. You got to get those feet set, get your bounce underneath you. Um, and, and then, he, you know, 
he had a bunch of them. Um, but I think that that was opened up by the fact too, that, uh, uh, that Colin Castleton was running in a straight line from underneath Florida's hoop to, uh, to West Virginia's hoop. And he, he got a couple of those hit aheads, easy buckets. And then you saw the situation where, uh, West Virginia sends two or three to the glass, Florida gets the rebound and then they push out and suddenly they have a numbers advantage. Well, if you have a numbers advantage, you have someone with the basketball, you have a center running in a straight line underneath the opponent's hoop. And then you have a shooter running to one corner and a shooter running to the other corner. That is just like far too much square footage and far too much, far too much space for an undermanned defense that that's running back without a numbers advantage uh, for them to, for them to defend. So I thought that um, Florida's discipline to, to, to running wide, running in spots, their ability to con- control the defensive glass. It, it just worked out to be a, a really good, a really good transition game. And, uh, and then as well, I thought there was also some of the drag screens that they ran in early offense that yeah. uh, really worked well caught West Virginia in a position where they were kind of confused as to who was helping. Um, yeah, just a uh, j- really, really good transition offensive game and just uh, showed, I-, I think what Mike White wants to see, what the players want to see and what the fans want to see. Yeah. I mean, and it was, you know, like, like Eric mentioned, a lot of it came off misses, not necessarily off turnovers. Florida did get 13 points off turnovers uh, in this game, 13 off West Virginia's 10. Uh, Florida turned it over 13 times. West Virginia only got nine off those. So Florida had more like dead ball turnovers. Um, Although I think they were tied in steals. I'd have to look at that. But, um, you know, nonetheless, Florida wasn't punished necessarily by their turnovers. Both teams were under the national average, which I've looked up this season right now is 14.6, Eric. So a little under the national average in the turnover margin uh, area, but, but certainly... You know, West Virginia doesn't necessarily beat themselves. They didn't today, but when they did turn the ball over, Florida was able to get some points, and then they were able to punish West Virginia for their aggressiveness on uh, the defensive side. The um, first guy I want to talk about on offense, uh, you know, because we've addressed kind of part of the defensive aspect of the game that we're going to talk about, but but Noah Locke, let's, let's talk about Noah. Uh, Anxiety-inducing on the floor at times. But uh, a good type of game for him because he's not necessarily out-athleted by West Virginia's backcourt. Yeah, that was the one benefit of like uh, Sean McNeil being in the game is there was kind of a natural matchup for for Locke where he has uh, kind of similar height, kind of similar stockiness. And uh, uh, but but the thing that I loved about Noah Locke's game was like he had uh, he had his three like. So two of his threes were in, were in transition, which were awesome. Um, run to spots. The team ran. Uh, team ran great. Ran wide. It turned into his two three-point attempts. One of his other three-point attempts was they ran a set called floppy for him that you see in the NBA all the time. Um, he uh, where he he goes and runs off a couple pin downs. He uh, West Virginia was kind of ready for it, and uh, they saw the pin or they saw the screens coming, so they like way overplayed. So he denied the screen, backed his way back to the corner, got an open three, and then the the other three he got was uh was florida ran a really good pick and roll where noah Locke is the shake player some people call it, or or lift where he starts in the corner and then he he rises so that the if a help side defender wants to stick with him he's not in a position where he can help on the roller um so florida spaced the floor perfectly ran a really good pick and roll set uh noah lock lifted great his timing on the play was excellent uh, and then he got a wide open three and he hit it so i just i i, I thought it was awesome because it was like four 
great, you know, individual plays by Noah Locke um, for him reading the floppy set perfectly and, and responding to the defense uh, was awesome. Him running to spots in transition was awesome. Um, him playing his role as a floor spacer in the pick and roll was awesome. And it was also four threes that came off the, the Gators executing four plays, executing two perfect fast breaks, executing one floppy play perfectly and executing a pick and roll perfectly. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just so happy with what I saw from him and uh, and the Gators using him today. Yeah, no, I thought, uh, you know, he he also, I thought, uh, from an intangible standpoint, you could see, you know, just his leadership, um, leading huddles, and then, uh, you know, part of leadership is performance. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's an untalked about area of leadership, Eric. Um, and, and he hit some huge shots, man. I mean, he hits one with Florida down five midway through the second half, buries a three. Uh, that one was pretty well guarded. Um, he hits another at 71-70 West Virginia with under seven minutes to play. That was actually West Virginia's last lead uh, in the game. So two huge buckets uh, for Noah as well. And, and you know, the other thing he did was, uh, you know, I wrote this number down because it was kind of eye-opening. If you're going to tie West Virginia on the glass, your guards better compete. Noah Locke had five rebounds. Florida's guards had 15 rebounds. That included two from Quez Glover. That's a great point. They they really competed on the glass. And um, it, man, I, I I don't know if you look at a game like this with um, however many offensive rebounds uh, West Virginia had at the end. I think they had like 16 or whatever. Um, you're you're probably thinking, oh, Florida, you know, wasn't that great on the glass. Um, but uh, man, I I mean, you, you you look at it, and I mean, some of those offensive rebounds are the ones that I think you just got to kind of live with. And and I thought that a lot of those those key rebounds at the end of the game, Florida came up with. And um, there were some key key rebounds early that I thought Florida came up with. So um, overall, I'd say, I mean, you mentioned it, like you said, I think you said it perfectly. I mean, if you play a West Virginia team that close in rebounding, you've done your job. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you just need, especially if you're going to have Trey Mann as a point guard at six foot five and can jump out of the gym he's got to be someone who helps on the glass but like you said it wasn't just him it was it was Quez Glover it was it was Noah Locke so uh especially yeah I'm sure we all know that then Mike White is harping on the on rebounding and uh the guards stepped up they did step up uh they also you know obviously stepped up offensively in the second half I think I said eight uh, Eric corrected me it was a uh, West Virginia had a seven point margin a couple times but opened up the second half with that seven point margin and then Florida got on a, on a bit of a roll and, and closed the gap. Uh, and one of the things that Bob Huggins lauded uh, after the game was, was Florida's ability to space. And he just said that, that he thought Florida's spacing was, was tremendous uh, and it put a lot of pressure on West Virginia to make quick decisions in defense. And, and they weren't quite, uh, you know, he said we were a step slow to their, their uh, decision-making. Um, I thought interesting comments from Bob Huggins and maybe a testament to how Florida has reinvented itself offensively. I, I think so. And, and, and I, I love that statement for two reasons. Uh, the first of all is, is that West Virginia is someone who, who's been known for playing two bigs a lot in the past. Uh, they aren't this year, but for the past, however many years West Virginia has played two centers at a time. So teams have been trying to space out West Virginia for years and, um, haven't been successful. Like even with two bigs on the floor, 
West Virginia has been so good defensively these last couple of years. So if there's someone who knows about um, what it's like to be spaced out, it's it's Bob Huggins because it does not happen to his teams very often. Uh, this year it's happened to them a lot more, but um, last couple of years he knows what it's like for teams to try to space him out. So so that's a, that is a very good comp- compliment from one of the best defensive coaches in history, quite frankly. Um, you know, if you look at college basketball history in 50 years, people are going to look at the, uh, the the 2000s and the 2010s and, and see Bob Huggins as one, as the, one of the best defensive coaches. So so that's a great compliment. The, the other thing, too, is, is the fact that, like, when people think spacing, they probably think, like, what Nate Oates is doing right now with, like, playing five out or they think of what Gonzaga is doing right now playing Corey Kispert at the floor is an incredible shooter and playing four on one like that's what people kind of think about when they mean when they think spacing but with Florida especially with two bigs on the floor uh they're looking at spacing in a new way again with someone sitting in the dunker spot and a secondary player setting ball screens or uh, they're playing like like I don't know if you you know truly call it a, a three out two in um i i wouldn't uh though there are times where they they kind of do that but again florida is spacing the floor in like a different way than than what people are expecting and and spacing isn't just about putting all these people at the three-point line and 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 swinging the ball side to side it's it's about putting like bob huggins alluded to putting the defense into positions where where they've got to make tough decisions and and again i thought florida's spacing uh kind of the second game where i feel like they've like really gone all out with that with a too big spacing um i i thought florida looked a lot better with it and uh they're having good results so that, that that's just something i think is 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 worth noting that they're they're spacing the floor in like a different way than than what you might think of when you first hear spacing the floor yeah, that's great stuff, Eric. And and they did it with two bigs pretty consistently the entire game, whether it was Castleton and Payne or Castleton and Jerushi at moments or Castleton and uh, Jatobo uh, or some other Osifo uh, in there as well. Osifo's nine for nine on field goals in the last uh, four games. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, is it is it a stretch to say Colin Castleton was the difference in the second half? Your thoughts on that? That was the point uh, – Mike White made. <laughs> well, I mean, as much as Derek Culver was kind of awesome for all his minutes, he definitely got a little bit more loose in the first half than he did in the second. I thought some of those shot, uh, block shots that Colin Castleton had in the in the second was was big. Colin Castleton gets to the foul line more. He draws a key foul on on Derek Culver that gets him uh, into foul trouble and gets him off the floor. Uh, yeah, definitely would say Colin Castleton was the difference in the second. Though I would also put Trey Mann right there uh, because yeah. he had those threes off the dribble um, that really really kind of elated things for Florida. So, so Colin Castleton is, uh, would be my answer, but I do think that Trey man, uh, the shots he hit in the second, those, those three threes off the bounce. Um, I, I think he was right there too, as, as second half difference, difference maker. Yeah. Trey only nine points, but it just seemed like every one of those threes was massive. Um, you know, another, he hit one at that tied it at 70 when it kind of felt like Florida really needed a bucket that possession. And then, you know, he hits the the off the dribble step back and you're like, okay, okay. You know, the Gators, Gators are not going to go away um, in this game. And, and yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, Derek Culver being really good at basketball was the story in the first half, 21 points. Um, you know, were you disappointed in the way Florida defended him? Because to me, it looked like Florida tried a couple of different things and, uh, you know, it didn't really take uh but it, it bears repeating that you know yeah florida blocked uh, a couple of his shots uh in the second half they tried to foul him to death he made all his free throws 
Um, he made a lot of free throws. He, um, but he only scored seven in the second half, and and that limiting allows Florida to to get some separation in the end. Yeah, I, I didn't have a whole big issue with with how they defended him. Um, I thought Omar Payne had some really good moments, kind of like half fronting or like three quarter fronting. My one maybe issue, and I I, I don't know if I totally agree with what I'm about to say um, or, or not. I, I'm going to have to watch it again. But but one thing Florida does that I don't think I'm a big fan of, but I, I have to watch it a little bit more. It's like, I, I'm someone that's like, if you are doubling the post, your your second guy is coming over and trying to put two hands on the basketball and and rip it out of his hands and like force him to do something. Like like I'm like, if you're going to double the post um, or fire the post, as Mike White likes to say, like I'm someone who like wants to be like aggressive. Like that second person comes in and is trying to, get the basketball or, or force something Florida, whenever they send that, that double team to the post, it's, it's far more passive. It's like go there and like kind of go halfway and like show that, show the offensive player that you're coming to double. And like, it, it's a little bit more like measured of a double team. And, and, and I thought that kind of got Florida in trouble a couple of times where he saw the double team and said like, Oh great, I'm still going to finish over my primary defender. I'm going to make my spin and you're not going to be quick enough to come over and, and contest it. Or he had some pass out opportunities. Um, so, so maybe that's, that's the one thing that I like don't love is that like, I kind of wish that like when you double the post, you double the post, you don't send the second guy over with his hands straight up in the air, but like six feet away to like kind of show pressure. Um, that's a little bit of like the Grantham corner blitz to me. It's like, it's, oh. it's pressure, you know, it's pressure, but it's not, you know, like, yeah. uh, so, but, but babe, I, I'm curious what, what your, your, your take is on that. No, I agree. And I think it's all the more important to, if you're going to do that, like, if you're going to call it fire, you better actually fire. Um, because it's, but my point being, it's especially important on a big like Culver, right? Or, or even like an Olivier, like if you have a big that passes as well as Culver does, because um, he is a very good passer. I actually think there's an argument he's the best passer West Virginia has, which could explain a lot um, about when the ball gets stuck for them. But, uh, you know, if he were the National Hockey League, he would have had four assists. He ends up with zero. Um, but there were four different possessions that I counted where Florida kind of half-heartedly double teams and he found someone and then they make an extra pass jump shot or they make an extra pass layup. And, you know, so those passes then unbalance the floor and then Florida's scrambling. Uh, either in rotations or to switch, and and that's when Florida did, get, does get discombobulated. So I think when you come at it, you have to go and attack a guy like that because you can't give him time uh, to. He's very explosive as a finisher, but he's also a good enough passer to where, like, if you're not in his face, he's going to make the pass properly. Yeah, so so I, I'm glad you're kind of in agreement, like, and 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 kind of sus. Some of those pass outs where, where Florida got gashed. And, uh, you know, the one thing I do like that they did against against Derek Culver and, um, I, you know, like it, it's always tough to say this is kind of unquantifiable. But uh, whenever there's a really good big big man on an opposing team, uh, this goes for like any level of basketball. Um, I think from like the NBA to college to like middle school, probably. I mean, I do it all the time with a high school team. My coach is like the other team's got a really good big man. Make him guard every pick and roll on the other side of the floor. 
Like I like I don't know if they really like tired out Culver. I I I don't know, but I mean I definitely thought he lost a little bit of effectiveness in the second, and and part of it was that Florida's pick and roll attack was was so so good um, against West Virginia, and and a lot of it was Derek Culver having to guard them, and and I don't think he did a particularly poor job or anything, but uh, man, it's it's tough when you're a big man to start underneath your hoop. You've got Colin Castleton or Omar Payne trying to seal you, trying to seal you for an early duck in. Um, okay, like it's not there. Then Colin Castleton sprints out to the three-point line and you've got to sprint right with him to guard a screen and roll. Um, you know, you do that over and over again. I mean, that's uh, that's tiring and, and probably you do that a few times. Well, it probably takes a little bit of, of the wind out of out of Culver and he doesn't want to post up quite as hard there in the second half. I'm, I don't know if I, like I'm not saying I saw Derek Culver get tired. I, I, I see that, the, you know, his, his effectiveness came down a little bit. I thought that in the second half, there were some times where Omar Payne like really worked to get that three-quarter front and Culver just like didn't fight quite as hard to get position again so maybe that's something Florida did but um you know even if it wasn't tiring out Culver uh I, I thought that Florida's pick and roll attack was yeah about as uh, about as good as it's, as it's been this season no I thought it did yeah I, I think they did and I think some of Florida's urgency and transition uh contributed to that and Colin Castleton breaking towards the basket uh you know and and, and that kind of stuff just chasing um, certainly I, I do. I think he was probably, you know, you never know, but he seemed, um, he seemed a little slower at the end of the game than, than he was and at the beginning and in the first half. And I think maybe that contributes to, to him only having the seven <laughs> points there in the, uh, in the second half and, and helping Florida snag the victory. Um, you know, we mentioned, the play of Locke, and we mentioned the play of, of Man. Uh, we mentioned Castleton. I think that we did talk about Scotty Lewis's defense. I would point out that he kind of took what came to him offensively, which Eric has been saying for a really, really long time. Not that I've disagreed, but it's been a point Eric makes a lot that, like, that's probably the best Scotty Lewis. Uh, and taking what the defense gave him today was great. He made two huge shots. Uh, he had a beautiful drive and finish with 13 minutes to play. He was under control, uh, which sometimes he doesn't, he, he's not necessarily, um, Scotty's real agile, right? And like, we know about his athleticism, but his agility is really good. It allows him to make kind of moves, uh, when he drives the ball that I think are going to help him as his basketball career continues. And then, you know, he hammers the huge three with the game tied at 70, Eric. Yeah, I mean, I, I I hope he feels very satisfied with the way he played. I thought he was great. I know that um, there's might be part of him that that wishes he would fill up the stat sheet a little bit more for um, his NBA dreams. But man, if he has more games like this, where he's two for four from two point range and and one for one from the three point line, and he takes what comes to him, um, I thought that was just like a mature game from someone who desperately wanted to win and didn't do anything stupid because uh, he put the team first and, and put winning first and, and didn't force anything. So yeah, I, I'm really happy with how Scotty Lewis has played. Definitely someone who has caught the occasional, uh, um, been the occasional whipping boy of the podcast. No, maybe not that strong. That's not the case. Either. But um, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we love, we've always loved Scotty Lewis. Definitely thought sometimes he's doing a little bit too much and, and here where it's like helped on, um, you know, helped on the glass, had a big block shot, had a couple, a uh, couple plays where he showed off his passing ability. Uh, yeah, just a thought, thought it was a really good game for Lewis all around. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, uh, it's just a, it was a good night for a lot of players. Um, but, but I think some of it 
I guess the point, the overarching point I want to make is that it was guys just embracing their role on the team. And that's how you, that's how you win games that are hard. Um, and certainly winning at Morgantown in Morgantown at a, at the number 11 team in the country, uh, one of the more efficient offenses in America and a team that culturally is always excellent on defense or at least good on defense. Cause that's really the distinction between West Virginia this year. And normally it's not like bad on defense. It's the drop off from West Virginia's version of excellent to like West Virginia's version of good on defense. Um, and Florida executes at a high level and, and comes away with the win, uh, executes the scout. Uh, and it was cool to see some of the stuff that happened late with the bench. So engaged and, uh, our guy, Keontae Johnson, just really enjoying it. Did you see some of those shots? Oh, man, yeah. Energy level is, is off the charts there. Yeah, no, super fun, super fun. So, um, you know, that's, that's what we – this is a 4-0 basketball team um, since that Miss State loss. Uh, you know, I would point out that in two of those games, we had podcasts where – and I'll defend them, and I'm sure Eric will too – where we did not think Florida played particularly well. Uh, this was not that. This was a, a good performance. Yeah, it really was. And, like, I I don't want to sound like, you know, Florida homer here or whatever, but, like, I feel like there is very much a universe where Florida wins this game by, like, 10 or 12 or 15 because, um, like I said, you have – an absurd Sean McNeil shooting game where he gets 21 points there five for 11 from the three point line. He has had more than his share of games where he's gone like over seven. So, you know, if he hits a couple of those less Derek Culver, a 54% free throw shooter hits 14 of 17 free throws. Uh, he could easily hit a lot less. Um, you don't give up a administrative technical foul. Big point there. Um, you know, sure. Ty- Tyree Appleby could have a four point four point play. Um, it, it at least wiped three points off the board. I mean, you add some of these things up, and like, man, like Florida played well enough that they could have really, like, really had a really comfortable win. Of course, uh, West. Hey, let's give full credit. West Virginia still played a very, very good game um, themselves. Uh, Florida was better. That's awesome, and that's super fun when another team, when a number eleven ranked team in the country plays a really good basketball game and you still beat them. Um, that's about as good as it gets. So, so yeah, I, I definitely do think I would definitely defend that. I don't think Florida played well the last two games. Um, I think they played they played awesome in this West Virginia game. Um, totally deserved. I, I think they almost probably could have deserved a little bit better fates. Uh, but um, maybe even the fact that it was a close game that they got it out will make it even sweeter for them and and pay more dividends uh down the stretch when they know they can be in these tight games with really good teams and and come out on on top yeah no totally agree with uh that the gators leave the game now leading the sec in effective field goal percentage and three-point percentage not bad for a a team that uh ditched an offense it had committed to for five months uh a week ago (laughs) yeah i i do think partially like we said, I mean, we don't think the team played very well these last couple of games, but part of it was, I do think they were figuring, figuring out their spacing, figuring out their, their new offense. And, uh, you know, you have a rough game against Vanderbilt. You have a rough game against Georgia. Well, that's okay. If you go through some bad reps against those teams, um, if it's going to pay off against West Virginia. And I, I thought that they were crisp offensively looked a lot more comfortable in their spacing with, uh, with the, with the new offense. And, uh, yeah, it looks like uh, maybe they just needed to have some of those those rougher games to uh, to have an outburst like this. 
Yeah, no, I would agree. We had another listener question, um, and that listener question about the last four games was from a couple of people. So we wanted to answer that one first. But we had another one from uh, Jill, Jared Villamar uh, at French Something on Twitter. Ask, uh, I know you've been skeptical of them playing him, but what do you guys see Osifo doing that is getting him minutes over uh, number five and number four? Don't have the minutes, but he seemed like – that seemed like the most play he's gotten this season. I thought it was the most play he's gotten in critical moments this season. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. After, uh, like I said, in the last podcast, he had like <laughs> essentially zero minutes in critical play um, up until up until today. So uh, what he's done better, I mean, his rebounding numbers are, are quite good on both the offensive and defensive glass. We know that that is... Uh, that's something that's that's very important to this team. Um, he also is probably uh, someone who plays within himself a little bit more than Anthony Deruji. Um, of course, Deruji has had uh, he is prone to the awful shot from mid range or the awful shot from three, or he tried to throw an entry pass in this game where it was never there and it turned into a turnover. Uh, Deruji just kind of has some of those moments right now. He is. I might venture to say the most inconsistent Gator. I have not put that much thought into that um, just right now. But um, I, I do think you know what you're going to get from Asifo a, a little bit more. He's going to be the best rebounder, um, at least by the numbers. It's I'd, I'd have to, you know, Omar, Omar Payne is someone who his rebounding numbers have actually been quite poor through his career for especially someone who has, you know, long arms um, leaping ability, not quite as good of a rebounder as you'd expect. And uh, Osifo took some really bad shots early in the season, like to post up. I think that the staff might've said like, Hey, you're, you're not doing that anymore. And if he's just there, you know, grinding on the offensive glass, grinding on the defensive glass, that might be what they're looking for from that position. Yeah. Not much more to, to add to that one. Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of it is about rebounding uh, and, you know, I mean, Omar Payne has grown uh, this season, but still just I think a reality is that he's not particularly – like he's not so much more advanced offensively than Osayo Osifo that you have to have him out there as opposed to Osifo. If you think Osifo rebounds a little bit better, gets established as better position rebounding, um, that might be an argument to play him over – Omar Payne, because right now, offensively, Omar is still pretty limited. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, better perimeter defender too. Osifo is. I think you'd you'd agree, probably. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, that that's there too, and just depending on the matchup at the four, um, that's going to matter. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the biggest thing Omar is going to bring is just his ability to protect the rim is is more advanced, uh, and you know, he's certainly uh, a bit more of a rim runner. You know, Osaya, not a ton of stuff there offensively, but like I said, he's nine for his last nine on field goals. So he's at least shooting when he should shoot. Um, <laughs> that tells me, uh, Eric. Uh, Florida will need to celebrate this, enjoy it, and then they will come back and have what I think, you know, I always look at these uh, at seasons as things that have kind of rhythms and flows to them. And uh, one thing that's kind of unfortunate is getting a Frank Martin team that's mad. And Florida will get that uh, Wednesday night um, in the early game, 6.30 at home against the Gamecocks. The Gamecocks are 4-6 and six, um, other than Florida. I said this was Vanderbilt the other night and admitted to Eric I had messed this up. Other than Florida, 
uh, I think, and maybe now Michigan, uh, no team has had their season as disrupted in the Power Six by COVID as South Carolina. It started this summer when Frank Martin got COVID. I saw him on uh, ESPN say, um, that was like a few weeks ago when they had just come back to playing, uh, that you know he still doesn't really feel 100% all the time. He's still very tired. Uh, so he's dealing with a lot of lingering effects himself as their head coach. Um, and it really prevented them from getting into a rhythm as a team. They played three games early in the year, played a great game with Houston, uh, and then had their non-conference pretty much wiped out. Uh, came back January 2nd and got thrust right into conference play after one tune-up. I guess that's more than Florida got. But uh, nonetheless, beaten up by COVID and then beaten up by Vanderbilt tonight at Memorial Gym. Your thoughts on uh, the Gamecocks? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in, in, in fairness, regarding a playing an angry um, Gamecocks team, I mean, I think that they're angry a lot. Um, I think they take on the, <laughs> the personality of their coach, who I truly do like. Like, I've said this a few times on the podcast. I think it's like an annual um, annual statement when uh, when the Gators play South Carolina. Um, I, I think Frank Martin is actually very misunderstood as a coach. I actually think that they run really good stuff offensively. And I know that they're not often a good offensive team, but I actually think if you actually look at like the sets they run, how they execute them, I, I think they run really good stuff. And, and I think that it, their offensive struggles that they are kind of known for as a defense first team who's, who's not great offensively, I, I think it's a lot because he is so defensive first that he is going to recruit defense first and that has not made for a lot of offensive talent but um yeah i, I really think frank martin's a great coach I think he runs really good stuff always want to say that because i do not think he gets some um, anywhere near the respect he deserves and i would suggest a lot of people think he's a bad offensive coach and um i probably wouldn't agree though if he just doesn't bring in that many good offensive players but I really do look at this South Carolina team and I, I do think they're really talented. I mean, AJ Lawson, a junior now who is like kind of like out of high school was like, Oh, you know, maybe he's a second round pick in the NBA after his soft or his freshman season. It's like, Oh, you know, maybe he gets drafted in the second round. Like he should probably come back. Um, decent year. And then it's like, Oh, you know, like maybe he's uh maybe he's a two way guy, but he decides to decides to come back, but he is kind of that like, fringy nba talent um kind of that like you know shea gilgis alexander kind of like taller guard not super athletic but like just gets into spaces and, and can finish um i i think justin Manaya is just like your your consummate frank martin player like six foot five physical passes the ball a little bit rebounds great um finds ways to score gets offensive rebounds i i think he's a really good player and uh and then of course they've got seventh woods too neil do you remember back in, in when seventh woods was like in seventh grade do you remember his uh his his famous mixtape uh i don't remember his famous mixtape <laughs> you uh, you need to watch you need to watch grade seven or grade six or grade seven seven okay. woods who was like um he, he was like dunking at, in like grade six and it was like absurd and it was like this guy is the next michael jordan and then he is his career at uh north carolina did not uh obviously did not turn into that. Um, so he came to South Carolina. I think he's from South Carolina, but um, you know, he's a, he's a decent player, obviously never, uh, never went up to the hype. That was him. And like one of the greatest mixtapes of all time. But uh, yeah, I would say that's kind of my, my overall take Neil is I actually do think this team is, is very, very talented. Yeah. So I think, I don't know if we were talking about this. I think we might've been talking about this off air uh, after the West Virginia preview and, and 
Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I thought this was a really good team. It's a team that a really talented team. I thought it was a really talented team that would make the NCAA tournament. I think COVID has kind of disrupted that. I still think they have NCAA tournament talent. They play a bunch of dudes. Uh, Frank Martin said that this is his deepest team uh, other than the final 14, um, which, you know, tells you something. Another guy you didn't mention that I really like. That's also a kind of a classic Frank Martin guard is Jermaine Cousinard. Uh, I know that he t- he probably takes too many threes, um, shooting 30%. He probably shouldn't shoot at the volume he does. But, um, you know, I, I love how – I love him as a passer. Uh, I saw he led the team in assists last year as a freshman. Pretty good to, to do that as a freshman in the SEC. He's big. He's powerful. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, it's good that Florida's – dropping into gaps because he can really attack the basket. He actually reminds me a little bit of Cinderius Thornwell, which I know is – I don't think that's lazy with him either just because of how strong and powerful he is and how he wants to get downhill, Eric. No, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a fair take. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's a good point. I didn't really think about uh, the way that Florida sitting in the gaps could really work against them. But, um, uh, yeah, I would say again, and, and it, it's, it is tough to say because um, – this is such a who knows what this team is like after after a big break and still finding their way. Um, they're a, they're you know not a great three point shooting team. Um, you know pre, they're kind of middle of the pack right now. Of course, they you know South Carolina teams have the reputation of being very poor from the three point line. Um, but probably probably a game if Florida wants to stay committed to, to protecting straight line drives, protecting the paint, maybe giving up some threes that you hopefully can test. Uh, that's going to work pretty well against South Carolina, um, especially in the half court because uh, they're a team that. Uh, that really wants to run and uh, and get out into transition. Yeah, they're 16th in the country in uh, adjusted tempo, 25th in possession length. That's actually a little slower than they were last year, by the way. Last year they were ninth in possession length. <laughs> yeah, they were uh, 17th in tempo. So they're a little faster in tempo but slower in possession length this year. We say slower because they're at 25th in the country after a COVID pause that lasted four weeks. So like, I kind of feel like they're they're ratcheting up to play real fast again, but they just didn't play basketball in December. You know who I think has gotten a lot better, and you mentioned him briefly, but like Justin Manaya's stuffing stat sheets this year. Nine points a game, eight rebounds, three assists per, a block per. Like what does he do so well that, that causes people problems? I think part of the things that that have helped him out in, uh, in some of these games is because of uh, because of the way that their roster is. It, it's kind of interesting because um, Jermaine Cousinard, you know, six four, um, plays a lot of point guard. Then AJ Lawson, six foot six. Keyshawn Bryant, six foot six. Uh, Trey Anderson, six foot six. And then Justin Manai has actually played um, a good amount of minutes at center, which I think has gotten him some some pretty good um, some pretty oh, good nice. offensive abilities at, or some pretty good op- offensive opportunities. And especially like uh, if he does catch the ball around. That that kind of free throw line range, he has the ability to to take one or two bounces and just like speed through other centers. Um, and then, like you alluded to, Neil, he's rebounded so well that it kind of has allowed um, it, it kind of has allowed Frank Martin to play him at the five when needed because they they know that they're not going to get just just hammered. And and he actually is a pretty good shot blocker as well. Um, I don't even think he's like a great athlete or anything, and he's not that long, but just one of those players that just like has time has the timing down just like has the kind of like intuition to block shots some people just have it he's one of them um uh, and then I, I also really like especially when using him at the five frank martin will run him off curls um which is again like 
pretty difficult for like centers if they're like trailing Justin Manaya having to guard him off off curls towards the hoop. Uh, that can that can be tough. So uh, that's something that uh, just kind of in the, in the scheme of things, run a little pin down, run him off a curl, you know, six foot nine, six foot 10 center has to chase him. Uh, pretty good opportunity for Manaya to, to get some space and, and finish. But yeah, just a really good player. Um, pretty likable. I, I do find him to be, again, one of those just like not super talented. Like I have no idea. I could be totally wrong, but like, I'm going to assume he was probably like a two star or three star. He's probably like <laughs> the 350th ranked player in the class. I'm probably going to Google it actually after I stop talking. Um, but yeah, you're a really good player that I'm looking forward to seeing. All right. I got it. Okay. Uh, here we go. I want to be so wrong. I feel as a prospect, not applicable just came oh. up. <laughs> well, he doesn't. He, he he got a three star. He got a three star rating after signing. Okay, no- well I'm. Oh yeah, look at these. Look at these other schools. Interest uh, UNC Wilmington, Boston University. That's of course Boston University, not Boston College. Oh, Illinois was a little bit interested. Um, and uh, Iona, that's what we see. That's what I'm looking at on his 24 seven. Okay, well I'm glad that I didn't like. Oh great, he's actually like a four star top 100 guy that i disrespected <laughs> no they only have a, the only guys they have in that fit that mold are lawson and uh and cousinard i think uh, Jalen mccreary might have been but it, whatever um yeah Keyshawn Bryant is their is their second leading scorer um i don't know you know i haven't watched them enough to know that much about his game he wasn't a guy that i really keyed on too much last year i also think some of that is because he missed time with injury and i only think he played florida once last year um i did note i did make a note that he had he had uh four double doubles last year though so he's a guy that that uh clearly cleans things up on the glass uh and if one of those double doubles was an outrageous Keontae johnson like 22 and 14 against alabama cool so you know he's a guy that he's a guy that can blow up, um, and uh, a Florida kid too from Orlando. So a little three star uh, from Orlando that uh, Colin Castleton is is going to be very familiar with among other uh, Gators. But yeah, a huge jump in production that they've gotten from him this year. He had twenty four against uh, Auburn. Um, of course, that game was played at seven hundred miles an hour, uh, <laughs> but still. Uh, he, he can definitely do some damage as well. So it's, it's a talented team. It's a talented team that's going to be irritated. It is not a team that has defended well, um, not by Frank Martin standards, not even by Power 6 standards, Eric. Yeah, no, it's true. And uh, I, I think, too, uh, this is, again, something Frank Martin doesn't get quite enough credit for is is the fact that he plays so fast. Again, I think some people think South Carolina and they think Frank Martin and they think like, oh, they're, you know, they're going to slow it down and grind it out. And that just that just hasn't been that hasn't been the case. Like they're they're a team that plays fast. And, and something I do really like about Frank Martin is just the fact that uh, uh, just the fact that it's it's you know, he know he's he knows he's not going to get as much talent as as some of the other teams in the league. Uh, when he did get that talent, it was uh, he was caught up in the FBI probe. So he just knows that he's probably not really going to regularly get that uh, get that talent. And uh, for that reason, he kind of has has, has a unique style. And um, he man, once again, I know that there's some people that are probably not big fans of Frank Martin as a coach. They probably think he's 
someone who maybe hasn't done as well in the, in the league as they would have thought. But but again, he's someone who his his guys always play so hard for, and his guys love even despite the fact that he is the. Uh, kind of looks like the godfather on the sideline and, and looks terrifying and looks so angry at his players. But, uh, man, his, his players seem to love him. Oh, they certainly do. And uh, he's now been uh, in in – he's now been in the SEC a long time. Other than John Calipari, he has uh, become the dean of SEC coaches, uh, having been there since the 2013 season. So, uh, you know, a lot of my, a lot of mileage. It doesn't seem like he's been there that long, but but he has uh, obviously kind of forced to to leave. Uh, where was he? Kansas State. Yeah, Kansas State. I mean, they might be trying to trying to haul him back. Uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe all will be forgiven. He can uh, he can return. Exactly. They're whew, they're they have had a, a tough one. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think this is going to be a challenge for Florida. And it's not just because um, Frank Martin's team's mad. It's because they're talented and because, you know, as Florida continues to mature and grow. And one thing I do, I, I, we spent time talking about how they're tough. You know, they need to be. They need to be tough and locked in uh, Wednesday night. Uh, they haven't necessarily handled success great as a culture. There could be a ranking by their name Monday. Um, we'll see. Um, all that stuff is just outside nonsense that Florida really can't let themselves be bothered by, I think. And, you know, I think that's that's the big challenge for the Gators uh, this week because there are two big-time conference basketball games uh, with, with South Carolina, and they're both winnable at, at LSU uh, next Saturday. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the other thing too about about South Carolina that uh, could make this game tough is that South Carolina defensively is is one of those teams that uh, they kind of play like Baylor or Texas Tech, where they do everything possible to take away the middle of the floor and they try to limit ball reversals. So it can be very tough to run offense against them. And and the Gators have uh, obviously just had a really good offensive offensive game. And uh, I think the Gators have been at their best against teams that maybe do want to pack it in a little bit more. And they're they're They are, they are free to move the ball around the perimeter and, and use their, uh, use their three point shot that that's been really good. But like, um, South Carolina is, is not going to let them swing the ball freely. They're going to try to limit ball reversal and they're going to try to keep players out of the middle of the floor. So, uh, that, that's also just going to be a, a challenge for the, for the Gators who, um, might find it a little bit tougher to, to run their stuff than, than it was against, against West Virginia. Um, so we'll see, but, uh, but like you said, I mean, Florida sitting right up at the, the top of uh, the league, like, I don't think anyone's catching Alabama, but like, um, finishing second in the conference is, is totally, totally attainable really. So, uh, but you've got to, you know, you've got to take care of business against, against, uh, the teams that you, that you should win. And, uh, that'll start with, with South Carolina, who is yet to yet to get their footing. Yep, and I am told that you know the SEC intends to have a basketball tournament. They they are you know expecting that it's possible that that the teams that are kind of locks for the NCAA tournament uh, may opt out. Um, my sense, just gut feeling, is that if Florida thinks they have a chance to win a championship of any kind this year, that they probably aren't opting out of something like that. I don't think any of these guys decided to play the season after what happened to Keontae to do that, but you never know. Uh, there's plenty of time to speculate about that in February, but you know these are the kinds of games that impact seeding. You certainly don't want to play on Thursday uh, if you want to win that tournament. 
What do, what do you think about that? What do you think about the whole, uh, you know, do you do conference tournaments uh, thing going on right now in, in college basketball? So it's super interesting to me. Like, I, I kind of think it's a great way to close the show, too. I, look, like, if I'm Alabama, if I'm, if I'm Gonzaga, like, what is the point? Like, why would I fly my team to Nashville? I guess Alabama just drives. But uh, if I'm Gonzaga, why am I flying from Spokane to, to Las Vegas, right? and holding up in a hotel for three or four days in the middle of the pandemic. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, not when, because of the masters and it's really just because of the masters, Eric, they don't move the college basketball tournament back even farther. I saw that, you know, it is going to start on Saturday or whatever. That's great. But you know, they really should have moved it back. I think another few days and would have, but for the golf, and so to me, you know, I'd opt out if I were a lock to be a one or a two seed. What's the point? I don't, I'm going to get an at-large bid. doesn't matter. Tournament's going to get seeded anyway. Uh, chances are a team on the bubble or also in the field uh, is going to win that conference tournament without me there. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And I don't worry about anybody else. I just sit at home, quarantine, and wait. What do you think? Yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be crazy to see what they do in in a league like uh, like with Gonzaga. Like if Gonzaga um, opts out, does does the winner of that league do they get an auto bid? Um, that would be that would really mess with things. Um, so that would be tough. But um, yeah, I just it, it would just be terrible if like like let's use the Gators for example. Let's say the Gators go to the point where they're they they hold where they are now. They finish second in the conference. Um, you know, God forbid if they play an SEC tournament um, and they start having positive cases because they had to go to a neutral site with a whole bunch of teams and travel. Um, and it means they miss out on the, the NCAA tournament for whatever reason. I mean, it's a, it's a big risk to me to go to a, a central site with all these teams to, uh, yeah, to play a, ter- to play an SEC tournament that, that doesn't really matter. Um, so for, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd be very interested to see who'd opt out and who would play my, my idea, which would be for sure, for sure, not going to happen. Um, but this would be my idea that again is like half baked, never going to happen. But this is what I would do is uh, I would say, you know what you, you teams have played your round Robin. Let's do it. Like it's a volleyball tournament. Um, so, you know, right now the top four teams are Alabama, Florida, LSU, Tennessee. I would say, okay, that's your top four. Uh, you guys are playing for first one place four, two place three um, winners play you know, each team gets two games. We decide a winner. Um, Missouri, Arkansas, Kentucky, Auburn, they're the next. Um, you guys are playing for fifth place. Go to another pod, play five plays nine or, you know, uh, sorry, five plays, five plays eight, six plays seven. Um, you play for you play for fifth. That 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 is how I would do it. Like I would, if you have to have a tournament, if you have to fulfill TV, I would, uh, I would break it up that way. And just so you don't have all these teams converging on, on one site. I just think that's so dangerous for, I, again, it's just a, it's just a needless risk. Like, can you imagine Alabama has if, if they keep going like they're going and, and they go to play an SEC tournament because they know it's important to the league and and they get COVID and, and or a couple players get COVID and it messes them for the NCAA tournament. I'm man, it's it's a risk that I think is maybe unnecessary. So, man, I I, I could just very well see why teams would not want to do it. Yeah, no, I I think that's those are all really good points, and I think like like you mentioned the West Coast Conference. Uh, and, and, you know, what happens with their winner and stuff. And that's a league that already does a pretty good job of protecting people, right? Like they, their, their top two teams don't play till the semifinals generally, I, I, mm. I believe. 
Um, so, you know, it's an interesting question for like the WCC, like, what do you do? Like, do you just pack it in and say like, we don't really need that TV because we already have these great windows that ESPN provides us in the regular season, right? They got that uh, wonderful Tuesday night window that everybody in your time zone loves. And then uh, <laughs> they get the Saturday evening, <laughs> window, right? So like, I don't know if, they need the TV to see BYU play Pepperdine if Gonzaga's not there. Like, that's fine. Um, but the SEC, a little different because you've got your own network and, and you know, this and that. But I'm not sure. If I'm Alabama and I just went 18-0 and in the league, like, what reason would there be for me to go? <laughs> well, the, the other, and the other thing, too, is, like, even like let's imagine the sec and I, okay I, i'm sure that there would be fines and money involved so this is like a again a half-baked stupid idea for me but even if even if the sec says like no like we've got to play um alabama who's like let's say let's say they're undefeated or they lose one game or whatever um and are way ahead in the league and and very set in their ncaa tournament resume and they say like whatever we forfeit we're taking the loss um we're alabama and just won a football championship we'll pay a fine like we're we're not playing like that that wouldn't even shock me with some of these teams if they just say like we'll we'll take a loss on our resume it's not going to hurt us in our in our on our NCAA tournament resume uh, we could take the fine like it, it even makes me wonder if something like that would happen I I hope it wouldn't get like contentious to the point of like it would be that big of a deal for for a team to go against their league but Matt I just think again if if they're not one hundred percent satisfied with the uh, with the safety of of an event and uh, they don't feel like it can be a hundred percent safe and um, yeah, again, like we saw, we saw San Diego State and and Dayton miss out on a tournament last year, um, be, where they had just like a Cinderella season and they weren't able to finish it. I, I look at a team like Alabama and it's like, man, like would they would they want to risk a season like this for for an SEC tournament? Like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, no, I can't imagine they would. And I apologize to our listeners. I had my, uh, I think my ringer was on my phone. I mainly apologize to Eric. Uh, if, if Eric's ears were getting blown out by notifications. So uh, that's what I get for having my phone on uh, actual sound, um, which is very rare for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sorry about that to everybody. Thank you for listening. We will be back uh, after the South Carolina game to preview, um, you know, Florida's trip to the PMAC a place with a lot of fun. I'd say some strong ass memories for the Gators. Mac. We'll no see. other way to put it. Really no other way. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>